HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. During this time, it's more important than ever to support our friends and neighbors in the restaurant industry. Restaurant Workers Community Foundation has set up a national COVID-19 crisis relief fund. The money they raise will provide direct relief to individual restaurant workers, support other nonprofits serving restaurant workers in crisis, and offer zero-interest loans for restaurants to get back up and running. Visit restaurantworkerscf.org to donate today. And if you need a little extra motivation, you can DM your $20 donation to RWCF's co-founder, John DeBerry, on Twitter, and he'll give you directions for making a signature quarantine cocktail. Donate now at restaurantworkerscf.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I'd love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. For those of you with kids at home, I've been working on a new podcast here at Heritage Radio Network. Along with my co-host, Hannah Forden, the program manager at HRN, we've created Time for Lunch, a fun, food-focused show for kids. We're aiming to release a new episode every week, and we'd love it if you'd check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Today's theme, small farms are more important than ever. Today's May 4th, 2020. I've been home with my family for 56 days. As listeners may know, I moved to Charlestown, Rhode Island in the fall of 2019 and was splitting my time between here and Brooklyn until early March. I do expect to resume that schedule once it's safe to do so. One of the unexpected benefits of this move is having access to some great local farms. We've always tried to support local farms and farmers markets whenever possible. We now get most of our eggs, beef, chicken, and pork from Kim Coulter and her family at Stony Hill Cattle Company in Charlestown, Rhode Island. The land has been a farm longer than there are records, and Kim's son Josh is the fourth generation of her family to work on the farm. Now more than ever, small farms are an important part of our food supply chain. With large companies and facilities seeing coronavirus outbreaks and the possibility of shortages, people are turning more and more to small local farms. We should all be supporting our local farms and small businesses. There's strength in our communities, and they deserve our support. I stop by Stony Hill every Saturday morning. Their eggs and meat are among the best I've ever eaten, and the care they take for their farm, their animals, their family, and their community is unparalleled. I hope that they and the other important small farmers in America can continue to operate and thrive. 
I spoke with Kim last week about the farm, Charlestown, and her work in the Rhode Island Women in Agriculture Conference, which she heads up. We spoke about rural Rhode Island and the importance of small farms, especially here in the Northeast. My name is Kim Coulter, and myself and my family own Stony Hill Cattle Company, and we're located here in Charlestown. Um, Our grandparents, mine and my sister's grandparents, purchased this farm back in 1955 as a working dairy farm, which they continued up to about 1961-1962. And same holds true for back then that it does now. There was just long hours and not a lot of um, revenue in return. Right. So they converted over to beef cattle, and we've done beef cattle ever since. And so, so you really, I mean, you, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, so to speak. Uh, you grew up on that farm and you still operate it today, which, you know, I think historically was something that we saw in agriculture in this country, but is, you know, less and less true. Right. No, we're pretty proud of the fact that actually uh, my son is four generations on this farm. So we're, we're pretty proud of it. Um, you know, we love it. It's a, a lifestyle. That's and- amazing. You know, normally when people do what we do, they either love it or they hate it. And the kids can't wait to grow up and do something entirely different. Whereas for us, you know, it's a lifestyle. And we've been very blessed that my son wants to continue doing this. You know, um, we've never forced his hand. But, you know, we kind of left it wide open on what he would like to do. And um, he's just a strong, shown a strong desire to continue. And he's got a lot of ideas himself on what he wants to do and, and where he'd like to take the farm. So, you know, working together, giving him more of the reins, um, it's been good. And actually, having a farm right now, you need to diversify to, you know, be competitive. Sure. You can't just, you know, raise in beef cattle or just hogs. You do have to branch out and... and kind of not reinvent yourself, but definitely have to diversify. Yeah. So, so you guys raise, uh, beef cattle and you also yep. raise hogs, hogs, broiler chickens, um, layer hens, and we do turkeys at Thanksgiving time. And the property itself, as I understand it, has been a farm since as long as anybody can find in records. Is that true? Correct. It has been, it's one of the, um, longest continuously running farms in the town of Charlestown. Um, It predates town records, basically, because, of course, Charlestown was part of Westerly, and Westerly Town Hall had a massive fire, so a lot of the original deeds were destroyed in Mm. that fire. So, and again, we've known previous owners of this farm, and actually, we stayed in very good um, friendship, or we had a great friendship with the past owner's son of this farm. And, and he gave us the history as well from when his parents purchased um, the same place here. And it's just amazing. You know, um, there's just so much history embedded right here that we're pretty proud to be caretakers. Yeah. And how know? many and, how many animals do you have on the farm at any one time? How many beef cattle do you have? How many hogs? Um, hogs kind of range in number. Sometimes we'll be up as much as 20, 25 and Sometimes during the winter, if we bring everything to processing, you know, we might only have one or two Mm. tucked away. As far as cattle, normally we're right around 30 head. And again, that goes up and, you know, depending on what's ready to be processed, 
um, those numbers fluctuate. So I'd say an average is generally 30 head at any given time. And is that is that about the same size or larger or smaller than the farm was when your parents and your grandparents ran it? Um, actually, for the head of cattle, we have a few more beef cattle than what they carried. Um, but for dairy, they had, you know, I think they had probably about 60, 70 head of dairy cattle sure. here. Yeah. And where do you sell the meat from your animals? I mean, you know, I we know each other because I come every week to buy meat and eggs from you guys at your farm store on the farm. Um, but I imagine there are other places that you sell it as well, not just through the farm store. No, actually, we in, during the summertime, we participate in a farmer's market right here in the town of Charlestown. Um, so we do that one on Friday mornings. And occasionally I'll do guarded park. So when the Charlestown market is a 10-week run during the summer, and Guided Park starts in May and goes until October. Hmm. So before and after the Charlestown market, you know, I'll go over to Guided Park. That's a state-run market, and it's it's a great market. At any given time, you'll have 40, 45 vendors anyways. Um, fruits, vegetables, breads, a lot of artisan products, dairy, um, and of course, you know, people that do what we do, the livestock, the beef, pork, chicken and eggs. So there's several of us doing that as well at the same, you know, at the uh, guided park market. Sure. And how, how has that changed? I mean, how, you know, did your parents also sell a lot of the the meat that they raised direct to no. consumers locally? Well, that's how it was done. You, um, What a lot of times people did is they would get their family or friends involved. So you would do it like a whole steer mm, and you would mm-hmm. divide it up amongst family or sure. friends. Um, hogs, the same thing. You know, you'd buy a whole hog and you'd get three or four people in and, and divide it up. It's only been probably the last 15, 17 years that we've been able to do the retail cuts it. where it's an individual steak or a pound of ground beef. And that's just because um, there was a group of us. Actually, somebody started doing this before we did, and that was Don Minto from Watson Farm over in uh, Jamestown. And he kind of laid the groundwork. And the next thing, um, he and his wife, as well as six other families, um, Bill and I included, and Nina and Josh included in that, um, organized the Rhode Island Raised Livestock Association, where we had a processor right here in Rhode Island that would take the animals, process them, then we would ship them down to Westerly Packing for individual packing. They would cut and pack at that facility here in Westerly. And then, um, you know, different ones kind of branched off and and would go to different processing facilities throughout New England. There's a couple up in Vermont, Mm -hmm. Massachusetts, and now we have one in Westport, Mass, a relatively new one that's been operating maybe about two years now. Got it. And so how many how many members are there now of the Rhode Island Raised Livestock Association? Actually, I hate to say it, but it's kind of um, not gone by the wayside by no mm. means, but it's just on hold. I see. Since the um, processing facility in Johnston kind of tapered off. They had a few um, changes within their organization. Mm. So the bulk of us all started to go to different places like the Royal Butcher in Vermont, Adams Farm up in Massachusetts. And again, we have a new facility here in Westport, Meatworks. So people started to branch off and do their own things. So it reached an impasse, if you will, where now it's mostly 
um, a networking organization. Mm -hmm. So if you need to know who a farm is nearby or, you know, where to take something to be processed or any questions on the um, licensing of it, you would call the Livestock Association and there's still quite a bit of information available on their website. Are there any new farmers getting into livestock farming in Rhode Island? Oh, there's always um, new farmers coming in. You know, like some of the farms, like a lot of the younger generation, they'll get involved in it um, because right now there's a great movement where people are getting back to wanting to know where their food comes from, where sure. is it produced, where is it grown. So we have, we've had a great number of um, young farmers coming up along the ranks, if you will, where they've kind of gotten their feet wet and wanted to take over and do the same thing that we're doing might be on a little bit smaller scale to get started because unfortunately real estate prices in Rhode Island are the highest they are across the country sure you know I think we're 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 definitely up there so it's difficult for the kids to get started so yep. they'd have to find a farm to lease yep um and, and so there are, but there are a lot of vegetable farmers, um, which is a wonderful thing, you know, and, and I always say competition is, it's wonderful, it's great to have competition. And not only that, just selfishly, the more of us that are doing this, when we come in to a situation where we need the state behind us, mm-hmm. they're not going to listen to us if there's only one or two of us, right. but you get a couple hundred that share the same beliefs they have to stop and listen yeah absolutely and and i think especially now i mean what we're seeing just in you know the last few days with what's happened in a lot of the you know giant large-scale meat processing in this country of having issues with coronavirus outbreaks in those processing facilities and having to be closed even if the national government is trying to keep them open um you know the the opportunity for those of us who are lucky enough to live somewhere uh, where we do have access to local meat, the more local, you know, local livestock and local meat that is available, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Right. right. Absolutely. So, I, you know, I am... I, I'm curious to know, uh, you know, a little bit. I mean, I'm a, I'm a recent transplant here to Charlestown, Rhode Island. Uh, really, you know, I'm really, really loving being here. I mean, not under the coronavirus situation particularly, but Correct. nice to go to the beach if we could. But, uh, yeah. but I really like the area. But, you, you know, you grew up here um, mm-hmm. and, you know, it, it's changed quite a bit. And I would love to know, you know, some of the things that you like about living in Charlestown. Um, but I'd also love to understand a little bit better the story of, you know, a few years ago, as I understand it, there was a possibility that you might lose the farm uh, due to a rerouting of the train tracks. Correct. Well, first of all, I love Charlestown because it is rural enough. We do have the best of both worlds. You have, you know, hiking trails. You have Burlingame State Park. You have the Carter Preserve. All places to get away, get out into the woods, clear your head, take a hike. And Burlingame, the camping area, Watchhog Pond, it's beautiful. And there aren't any big box stores. I think the only thing that we have here is uh, Dunkin' Donuts. And I love that rural character. I love how everybody knows everybody. And even yourself, you came here from New York and you came to the farm and it was almost like instant friendship. Yep. I love that about Charlestown because it just seems that's what it's about. You know, everybody likes to talk. Everybody likes to visit. And and it's a great place for that. 
And we did grow up here. So again, I have a, a love for it, probably more than anything, especially with the farm. We have so much history right here. But we got a call right before, a week before Christmas, a couple of years ago, saying that the high-speed rail was going to be coming right through the farm. Mm. And at first, I thought it was a joke. It's like, mm. right, you know, there's a train track you know, yeah. already here. I, right. I, I can't quite under, I couldn't grasp why. And then found out that, you know, sure as anything, that this is something that they wanted to do. And everybody in the area in that community was just up in arms. And my whole point of view was it was ludicrous. We never got the same story twice. Mm. And they kept telling us, well, it's going to save first an hour and a half from Washington, D.C. to Boston. So the more research that you did and the more people that you spoke with, it was completely untrue. It was just there was somebody down in Washington at that time that thought rail transportation would be the best way to go. And this is what they do in European countries. This is not a European country. This is America. This is what we do. It's not the Wild West where you're taming lands that are unsettled and, you know, the frontier. These are homes, they're communities, they're well established. And my whole point of being is when I got right down to it, not they were not going to save an hour and a half. They were going to lose another 15 minutes. Sure. Because through our farm alone, they had to put a tunnel. (laughs) <laughs> so now they can do 125 miles an hour on the tracks that we have coming through this tunnel. They had to come back down to 80 miles an hour because of going through the tunnel. The windows would implode right. due to the, you know, <laughs> just the whole engineering aspect of yep. it. Yep. You can't go that fast yeah. through a tunnel. And, you know, it, it just didn't make sense. So again, we did, we fought, you know, we got everybody involved that we could think of that would have any say. And um, I was ready to go to Washington and and speak to the person that was behind it himself and just ask, what were you thinking? You know, this doesn't make sense. I know that there were several businesses, you know, tourist attractions in Providence that weren't even happy about it because it felt that people weren't going to come through to visit Providence. They were just using it as a bypass sure. from Boston to Washington right. and to New York. Yeah, Some areas of the high speed, speed rail through Baltimore, New York City, you know, granted, they, they need, they're in dire straits of repair. Yep. But don't make that problem our problem. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, you know, I... I've traveled extensively overseas and and in Japan where the high-speed rail is incredible. You know, the big comparison that I always make is that the rails over there get replaced all the time and they get fixed all the time. And in this country, I I did some research recently unrelated to this, but I was reading about Amtrak and Amtrak only owns like 170 miles of track in this country or something like that. It's all held by private corporations, which is fine, except that the real issue with the speed of things like the Acela is the track condition. It has, it's not the route of where the train goes. Right, right. And that's what they were trying to sell us. And the other thing that kind of irritated me was it was our tax dollars that keep bailing out the rail system yeah. through the United States. And I don't want my tax dollars to take my home away. I don't want it to take my community <laughs> away. Of you course. know, it just didn't make sense. And my point that I kept trying to reiterate, and hopefully I, I do believe somebody heard me, was 
okay, you keep destroying land. So how are you how are you saving vehicles being on the road? We still have to travel to get to a depot to yeah, get on a of train course. to travel. You know, it just the whole thing was ludicrous and personally I think somebody was two guys sat in a bar on a Sunday night on a napkin and started, <laughs> you know, drawing up ideas on how to irritate people. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, you know, and historically, I mean, you know, the rails were used for so much commerce that wasn't people, right? I mean, yep. you know, I, I grew up north of New York City along the Metro North tracks, but, you know, when, you know, when my parents first moved there, even in the early 70s, there was still a train that would take milk from that area, from northern Westchester County down to New York City on the same rails that now are the Metro North commuter lines and only mm-hmm. people travel on those right. rail lines now. There's no freight at all. I mean, right. I, you know, and the same thing is true with the Long Island Railroad out and out to Long Island from New York City. I mean, it used to be that they would run a ton of freight in and out of the city on those lines and they don't do that right. anymore. It's just people moving. So I think that, right. you know, if we were to look at sort of revamping the rails in this country, I think it would have to be about freight as well mm-hmm. to really make use of that. Uh, and do something interesting with it. So Correct. let's talk about the Rhode Island Women in Agriculture. Uh, yes. You guys just had your, uh, you have a conference every two years. Is that correct? Every two years, so yes. you just had one that sort of squeaked in right under all of the closures and all of this craziness with coronavirus. Oh, God, yeah. We'd rather be lucky than good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But now you're planning for the next one, which will take place in 2022. Correct. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep Food Radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org donate. Tell me about that group um, and about the conference and sort of what, you know, what happened this year and what you have coming up. Well, this year was one of our biggest um, conferences that we've had to date. Um, I think it was the seventh one that we've put on. And um, we did have wonderful keynote speakers, Jane Murner Senecal from Earth Care Farm regarding composting. We had Casey Conrad, who's a fitness and a a wellness speaker and our main attraction was Amberly Snyder and 
she does barrel racing. And you kind of think to yourself, what does barrel racing have to do with agriculture? Well, actually, it does. It has quite a bit to do with it. It's still, you know, she does all the rodeo circuit. She's winning in the rodeo circuit. So it's still the horse industry. It's still livestock because at rodeos you have cattle. But the most important thing why we asked her to be our keynote speaker this year was she was winning all kinds of awards at the top of her game on her way to a competition and in a bad vehicle accident, Mm. which left her paralyzed from the waist down. The doctors told her, you're never going to ride again. And she just got determined enough. And she said, oh, yes, I am. She said, I'm not only going to ride, but I'm going to walk and I'm going to rodeo. So there is a movie out her on her life. And actually, she does the stunt riding in the movie. And it's walk, ride, rodeo. Hmm. And right now, she said she's riding and she's rodeoing. She just has walking left to do. (laughs) And she's such an inspirational young lady that it's amazing. So we did ask her to come out and to speak. Because sometimes, especially going through the winter, you know, if it's been a rough year. And again, farming, we joke around here, we're going to keep farming until the money runs out. And (laughs) Sometimes it's a, you know, you're on a high, your head's above water and you're sailing. And then other times, you know, you're lucky if your head's just just right there and you can get a little air in your lungs to keep you afloat. And I figured, and actually the group, the committee itself of of women that are in agriculture said, you know what, we need a shot in the arm this year. We need something to tell us and somebody to come in and say, don't give up. Hmm. You can do this. So I figured, what better person than to come in? And I'll tell you, this young lady, Amber Lee Kane, we had better than 240 people in the audience, and you could hear a pin drop. No one got up to leave the room to use a facility. Nobody spoke to the person sitting next to him. It It was almost mesmerizing to watch. And I'll tell you, I couldn't sit through it without... You know, it was like five boxes of Kleenex anyways. She was that moving. And if anybody has the opportunity to see her or to just watch the movie Walk, Ride, Rodeo, you want to talk about inspiration. There's nothing that you can't do that you put your mind to it, you know, and and by doing nothing is failure. Right. So you'd rather do something and have a little bit of success than just do nothing, you know, and, and, and that's what you do with farming. Yep. You know, you've got so many, so many factors. It's not one boss that you work for in farming. You know, you've got Mother Nature. You've got the good Lord above. You've got, you've got so many things that you answer to that are way out of your control. But yet every morning you get up with that hope that, you know what, it's going to be a good day today. I get to do hay today. And you hope the rain stays away for three or four days or you get to plant and you don't get a late frost to kill everything. So again, I just thought she was a, she was huge. It was huge for us this year. So we're looking forward to our conference in two years. And I don't know if we can top it, but we're sure going to try. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope to be able to attend and cover it, uh, either for Heritage Radio Network or for something else. Oh, we'd love for that. You know, we definitely will keep you in the loop for it. I think you would enjoy it. You know, we've had this year, I think we had 30 vendors. Um, Normally, we'll have 10 to 15 vendor tables. This year, we doubled that easily. Mm. Um, There was just so much. There was just so much 
about this year's event that was just over the top. You know, we had um, sponsors that we've never had before. We had Bank Newport, Newport Vineyards, um, NRCS. We just, it, it was just, it all came together. We had Eastern States Exposition sure. that were sponsors. It was, it was wonderful. Just the notoriety that we got from this year it's you know the next time has to be even bigger and better absolutely and again it might be kind of a tall order but we're gonna do it (laughs) so i mean it definitely sounds like from the way you're describing it that you know farming is having an upswing here in rhode island yep it is and i and i'm proud to be a part of it you know i'm proud to be you know and if there's anything that you can ever do or uh you know, be a mentor to anyone. We love doing that. You know, somebody's new coming in and, you know, how do I do this? What do I do with that? You know, that's what it's all about, you know, keeping it going. Right now, the farming age in Rhode Island, I think the medium is 64, 65 years of age. So we need to, we need to bring that number way down. Yeah, I mean, all, and, um, you know, all over the country. I mean, I've talked, I've spoken to a lot of young farmers, and Heritage Radio has had lots of people on the show, both young and older farmers. And you know, you mentioned earlier that the real estate prices are one of the biggest barriers, and that is something I've heard over and over and over again, um, yep. especially from young people, because there's so much. You know, real estate has become its own speculative industry. Correct. And, you know, especially in a place like this that is, you know, so close to and in between major metropolitan areas like Boston, Providence, New York, um, you know, the real estate prices are just crazy. So, you know, you and your family were so lucky, uh, you know, in that you were able to, you know, maintain the family property. Correct. Well, you know, part of it, you know, we did inherit when we lost our dad. Mm. And then the other part, you know, we did have to buy a family yep. member out to keep the farm together. Yep. So um, my husband, sister and I, we sat down and, you know, we needed to be very creative and come up with, with a way to do that. And we were very fortunate, very blessed that we were able to make a go of it, you know, and to keep it. And the nicest thing is, Every couple of years, we do a family reunion here. And the best part of owning this is just to see the elders of the family come. Hmm. And when they get ready to leave, they always come over and, you know, they'll give Nina and I a big hug and say, thank you for keeping our memories alive. Hmm. Because most of them grew up here. Like, they'd come in the summertime to help work on the farm and do hay or milk cows or do whatever. And they have a lot of memories of being here for different family events. And again, just kind of pitching in and, and doing whatever needed doing. And it's it, that's the biggest reward. And then when you see other cousins and everything bring their children and the kids just don't want to go home, right. you know, they want to just stay, run through the woods, do whatever. That's what it's all about. You know, that's, that's making memories. And I don't know, I think that's why I, I, I'm so passionate about keeping the farm a farm you know where can you do that anymore and you know i don't know i I get family comes first you know and you just want to protect it yeah so i wanted to ask a little bit about you know the effects that stay-at-home orders and coronavirus has had on the farm you joked to me a few weeks ago that life for you hasn't changed that much because being a (laughs) farmer you're it's pretty solitary anyway (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, yeah, 
has it changed much for me? I can't tell you that it has in a negative way. If anything, it's kind of put us out in the forefront as far as people wanting to stop and, mm. and know where their food comes from, yeah. how it's raised, how it's produced. So that's been a, a uptick for us that's been very nice. The downside of it is with all the restaurants, a lot of them having to close their doors, we're not shipping as much food out obviously, to the right. restaurants. You know, there's one that has been consistent, but it's been scaled back tremendously. Right. So if we had to just depend on that, that would definitely be um, an awkward situation for us. You know, it would definitely be a little bit tighter, but being allowed to have that farm store open and have customers come to us on the weekends has been wonderful. So that's kind of picked up the slack that we lost with the restaurants. Mm. And the other nice thing about it is at the farmer's market, when you're selling, people will ask, well, how are the animals raised? Where are you? What do you do? What do they look like? Where this way you come to the farm and there's no smoke and mirrors. It's not dealing with the Wizard of Oz. Right. You can actually see what we do. And if you agree with it and you like what we do, you know, we're willing to share. And if you don't or have different ideas, that's okay too, you know? Um, but so far, it's been a very positive experience for us. And I love talking about the farm. You know, as you can tell, I can yeah. go on and on. <laughs> you know, I'm just proud of it. I, I'm just very proud of what we've accomplished and, you know, and what we're able to do. Do we have a lot more ahead of us to do? Of course, there's always something. Yeah. And our buildings are old. They were built in the 1880s. Right. So there's constant upkeep. But you know what? It's a labor of love. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, my wife and I were saying just the other day, you know, that it was when we were looking for a house in Rhode Island and thinking about moving our family to Rhode Island, we, you know, we set kind of a wide net and Charlestown was kind of one of the places we knew we wanted to be closer to New York City because that's where our business is. And that's, you know, like where, you know, Heritage Radio is based and where we have a lot of work still. Um, but having you guys right down the road was not something that was kind of on our radar but we uh -huh. realize now how valuable that is to us and important it is to us. And Thank so you. we were saying the other day that, you know, it was sort of this like, you know, it was serendipity, but we're so thankful that, you know, I mean, tonight we're going to make dumplings with ground pork from your farm. And, you know, oh, nice. we only, I mean, the egg, you know, our children only eat eggs for breakfast. And, you know, this yep. week I bought three dozen eggs because our six-year-old the other night didn't like what we were having for dinner. And he decided to make three scrambled eggs for himself for dinner <laughs> and so we didn't have enough eggs for the week so we had to buy more <laughs> well you know what a good protein source exactly exactly um, thank you so and you know as a small farm i know that you guys keep in very close contact with the department of agriculture here in rhode island yes um and you know have have their guidelines changed or has anything changed from you know sort of from the government side of things with coronavirus and farming um, not so much for us, but I know for the retail side and um, for the plant sales, mm. for the vegetable growers and whatnot, that's been more of a challenge to them. Right. And especially for the nurseries, for people to come in and buy nursery stock. Right. And this is that time um, of year that people really want to do that. I know that Farmer's Daughter, yes. uh, I was looking at their site recently, and I believe Clark Farms doing the same thing where it's all contactless. You order ahead of time and yes. then you can pick it up, but you can't right. just go to the nursery and browse. Right. And, and that I think is, you know, I know that DEM 
in a um, leader, Ken Ayers, he has been working diligently, and his team actually as well, have been working diligently with the governor and her team to open up the nurseries, to put guidelines in place mm. so that the nurseries can open, so yeah. people can come and buy their fruit and vegetable plants, that they yep. can buy you know, outdoor gardening supplies and trees and shrubs, whatever you would do in the summertime, especially with Mother's Day coming up. Yep. So I do believe that they put guidelines in place. Everything was supposed to open on March 27th last weekend. Mm. And from what I know, you know, of course, there's a few hiccups here and there, but I think everything's going rather well. And I know just personally from my own perspective, you're outside, you know, the greenhouses, the um, nurseries, you're going to be outdoors. From everything that I've read, I've tried to listen to and glean as much information as I can. You need the fresh air. You need to be outdoors. You need the vitamin D from the sunlight. To have it where they weren't open and just curbside, I'm sorry, I, I totally disagreed with that. I thought that was not a good call at all. Um, I think there's more harm to be done by keeping people inside. Yep. I I just I you know, do I agree with everything the way things have been handled? No, I don't. I'm sorry. You know, I guess that's just my opinion. I I think you need to be outdoors, you need to be interactive as far as with nature. You know, yeah. you need to be able to go for walks. You need to be able to get to the beach. Yep. If not for anything else, but for your psyche. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. just to keep your mind healthy. If your mind's not healthy, your body's going to follow suit and not be healthy too. Yeah. You know, it's just... Well, and, you I, know. and I think from a local economic standpoint as well, I mean, you know, the, the fact that it's small local nurseries were not allowed to open, but because big stores like Home Depot and Lowe's were selling construction stuff and were deemed essential. Yep. They have large nursery departments, but they're you're yep. not supporting the local economy shopping there. So if people, you know, A are stuck at home and looking for something to do and they want to do more gardening and they didn't have yep. the option of buying stuff from a local nursery, right. then that's bad for the local economy. Of course it is. Of course it is. You know, the big box stores, not talking poorly about them, they have every right to be in business as yep. the rest of us. But they have more of a cushion to fall back on than what a lot of the small farms have. And if you want to promote farms in the state of Rhode Island, you want to keep them open and you want to keep them viable, you need to let them be in business. You let need to let them set the standards on. They want to be safe. Of you course. know, when you have a farm, you don't want to be gambling. If you're out, down and out with the flu, the cold, the virus, anything else, if you don't have a good backup, to continue getting up and going to work every morning, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to put ourselves in jeopardy or anybody else in jeopardy? So I don't think enough credit was given to the farmers that they would think of these things. And you got to understand, farmers are very resilient. They think of these things before it's even happened as far as viruses and everything else. We have to be ahead of the game. You know, we can't wait until something like this happens and say, now what the heck do we do? No, we've already thought of stuff like this. If I can't get up and go down and feed my animals in the morning, do I have a backup? Right. Who's going to do this for me? Who's going to water my plants? Who's going to go out and tend to the gardens? So we've already put this in place. And to take that away from us, 
again, my opinion, but I thought that was a wrong call. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And and with the outdoor stuff too, I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I think that there is a need for people to follow the social distancing guidelines and not gather in large groups. But I agree with you that keeping people from access to outdoor space, um, you know, is not, is not good for mental health or yeah. physical health. And, you yeah. know, the fact is that, you know, the beaches are big and, you know, people need to stay away from one another, but the beach is a perfect place as far as I'm concerned for people to be outside and not be next to one another. Right. Especially the salt water. Yep. There's nothing more healing than the salt water. Yeah. You absolutely. know, you know, and sometimes you can read things in a book, but it's not hands-on, you know, I, I can, tell somebody read this book and this is what's going to happen when you're ready to deliver a calf <laughs> you know what nine times out of ten i can promise you it's not going to go on how the book said it was going to right, go right. nine times out of ten you know so how did that work for you yeah. it's just common sense and you know sometimes i think there's a lack of it <laughs> speaking of calves i, I, think I, I just I think... saw on facebook you guys had just had your eighth Calf ninth. of ninth calf of the season, ninth. are you yes. are you expecting more? Actually, we are. I think we've got another two or three ready to come. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, so we're pretty excited about that. They're yeah. all cuties, especially you know growing up all together like that. They run, they play, and yeah. you know it's just it's great. It's great. Yeah, it's very it's great. It, it it's very cool. And and you know and being able to come to the farm. I mean, if anybody is, who's listening is anywhere near, uh, you know southern rhode island anywhere near charlestown i highly recommend it's worth the drive even if you're you know 45 minutes an hour away even if you're in providence take a ride down on a saturday or a sunday uh the farm store is open from 10 to 2 is that right yes it is thank Uh, you and and you know and check out the check out the farm um because it's definitely it's worth the ride and you'll at least get to get a little fresh air while you you know even if you have to wait in line to get into the farm store and uh you can pick up you know some great meat and meat and eggs Thank you. Um, well, thanks so much, Kim. I really appreciate it. Do you have any, is there anything sort of coming up either with you or women in agriculture or the farm that you want to bring up on here? Actually, women in ag, um, we are doing our pre-planning meeting probably the end of next week. So um, to stay tuned, we want to start planning for our 2022 conference and start to get a list of names out there that we'd like to have for our Um, keynote speakers and if anybody has suggestions you know we're always open to suggestions Um, as far as on the farm we're just doing what we do and preparing for a couple more babies and pretty soon another couple of weeks we'll be doing hay hopefully the weather ever dries up long enough so we can get out there (laughs) to mow but um and also farmers markets i do believe that the state is allowing us to continue doing farmers markets yep and which is a great thing. So we will be at the Charlestown Farmers Market, and that doesn't start till the end of June, though. So, you know, there's a lot of great stuff coming up for all the area farms. Um, your local farms, visit them. There's all new stuff always going on, and you know, get your fruits, vegetables, your meats. If not from our farm, just from a local farm. Keep them, keep supporting them because you know what. They're taking care of the land, and that's what we pass on to our future generations. Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. You can find more about the farm on Facebook at facebook.com slash stonyhillcattle, 
S-T-O-N-E-Y-H-I-L-L-C-A-T-T-L-E. And you can check out Kim's work and the Rhode Island Women in Agriculture at facebook.com slash R-I-Women-in-Ag. R-I-W-O-M-E-N-I-N-A-G. If you're anywhere near our part of southern Rhode Island, I highly recommend you find your way to Stony Hill Cattle Company at 460 Schmuckinuck Hill Road. You can find Feast Your Ears, as well as lots of other great shows, at heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please reach out if you have any questions. You can find me on email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram, at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week. Feast Your Ears is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.